once again in history, we find ourselves on a very slippery slope. And this slippery slope is one concerning speech, your speech, my speech, the freedom of speech. And the slope is going something like this. It's saying that, well, speech is violence. If you hurt me, if you offend me, if you offend someone, if you insult someone, that is an act of violence. And in fact, your silence is an act of violence. And therefore, any real violence that is committed, any real acts of violence is completely justified and is not violence at all. Hey, it's Lucas Grobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Grobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Today, we are talking about freedom of speech, freedom of expression, and the importance of speech. You know, it's I, I am not just a full-blown advocate of complete, utter freedom of speech, as we will find out in this show. As we go on, I really believe that that we will be judged for every careless word that comes out of our mouth, every careless word. And so I, I, I think language is extremely important. I think the way that we articulate things is extremely important and we need to be concise in our language. We need to be sharp in our language and that is something that I continually work on. How can I be concise and defined in my language so that we can know what we're talking about, so we can articulate these ideas that we're grappling with in the world rightly, and so that we can understand the world rightly, that we have the right framework, the right context by which we are seeing the world in and through. But today across the globe increasingly there are limitations that is are being put on people's freedom of speech on people's freedom to disagree and criticize other ideologies other lifestyles other belief systems that people believe are harmful or destructive to the fabric of our society because of this i believe that we need to be people who stand up to protect our freedom of speech, to protect our freedom to criticize, to protect our freedom to be able to ask questions and say, I don't, I don't know if I believe this. I don't know if this is maybe the best way to go forward. I think that this ideology, this idea is actually going to be extremely destructive for generations to come. One of the biggest ways that we are seeing this right now in, in the last couple of weeks was uh, last week on November 10th, 2020, um, the Norway parliament outlawed hate speech against transgenders and bisexual people, expanding the penal code, which has protected gays and lesbians since 1981. People found guilty of hate speech a fine up to a year in jail for a private remark and a maximum of three years in jail for public comments according to the penal code. What this means is that if you are found guilty of hate speech, of criticizing or insulting this protected people group, this privileged protected people group, that even if you say something in private, you could face up to a year in prison if something is come across as insulting. 
Now, there, as we're going to break it down, there's a lot of people who's like, well, it's, it's kind of a good thing. I mean, we shouldn't be mean. We shouldn't insult people. But where this leads is actually quite dangerous in that what qualifies and quantifies as hate speech? Because currently, as it stands today, people think that anything that is offensive or insultive or critical of another group or ideology or race or sex or or sexual preference or orientation, any sort of criticism or any sort of saying like, well, actually, my belief system says that this way of living is wrong. They perceive that as hate speech. They perceive that as being bigoted. And therefore, you believing something in the privacy of your own home, if you were to live in Norway, that would open up a door for you to go to prison. I think this is a very scary thing, a scary direction that the world is going to. And so it begs a lot of questions. And so the first question is, what exactly is hate speech? And does it actually stop the freedom of speech? Should we even have hate speech laws that protect people? Because here is the dangerous logical path. The dangerous path, it goes like this. It says, well, violence is hate. Well, I would agree. If, if you're committing an act of violence, somewhere there's rage, there's hate against another person or individual. And then they say violence because of the color or race or religion or gender is therefore a hate crime. Now, this is where it gets a little dicey. I think every crime is a hate crime. But I can understand why governments would want to prosecute crimes that are done specifically because of someone's the color of someone's skin or because of someone's religious background in a greater manner because they want to protect groups. They want to protect people from being targeted because of what they believe or because of the, the melanin in their skin. And so they want to put harsher penalties on people who are creating these or, or acting out in these evil, evil manners against people because of racist or ideological belief systems because they want to shut that down. So I can understand that. So, so hate crimes are persecuted, prosecuted more harshly because it's now classified as a quote unquote hate crime. Well, here's where it then continues. Hateful speech is offensive and oppressive, and therefore hateful speech is violence. Then the next step is taken. If there's other people who are creating hateful speech or doing hateful acts towards another group, well, that's violence. Well, you not standing up and saying something is your silence, is being complicit with violence, and therefore your silence is now violence. The next step that is taken from this is, well, if people are then acting out in violent manners, in looting, in, in vandalism, in attacking people, well, that's not actually violence. That's only, you know, attacking property. And it's totally justified because your silence is causing them to create these acts. So it's an act of self-defense because you were silent. This is where the logical conclusion goes when we start changing the meanings of terms, where we start 
entering into this philosophy and this ideology that speech is violence. It is a very slippery slope. It's very hard to discern the right boundary lines when you're caught up in this ideology, in this framework. And so we have to really remove ourselves from this framework and see each other as individuals, though we have an individual responsibility. We are judged as individuals, not just as groups. I am an individual first and foremost, not just a part of a specific group. And we need to see each other that way. And when we begin to see each other as individuals, rather than just being clumped into groups, a lot of these problems go away. Because now my silence is no longer violence because I'm not being associated with a huge other group of people, but I'm being judged as an individual based on my actions, based on the things that I do or do not do. Now, where this progression comes from, there it does have some validity to it because this whole silence is violence thing, it actually touches on what is called a sin of omission. A sin of omission is a, a sin where it's not because you did something, but you sinned because you didn't do what you ought to have done when you ought to have done it. Now, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was famous in, in around World War II, he was a German who resisted Hitler. He was actually a pacifist for, for most of his life. But Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Now, understand what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was getting at, and he really was getting at this sin of omission, which is not doing something that you should do. And it's it's actually quite dangerous because we oftentimes can't see it. There's oftentimes there's things that we should do, but we don't do it. And so what also Bonhoeffer was talking to in the context was the genocide of the Jews and millions of Jews going to gas chambers during World War II and millions of people not standing up, not doing something to fight a complete genocide. And so I understand where Bonhoeffer is coming from, but it has now morphed into a a, a dangerous ideology, and I don't think it's taken exactly from Bonhoeffer. I think Bonhoeffer had the right idea, but then it's become extrapolated and mutated to mean something that it's not. To mean to mean that you not speaking is racism. You not speaking is violence, which is just not true. So backing up a little bit, the core question that we're addressing in this episode is what should be free speech and what should be considered hate speech and should hate speech be permitted? Also, when and what should qualify as speech that is not permitted and is actually, whether it's promoting violence or should be deemed illegal? What sort of speech should not be permitted? I think there's a lot of nuance in these questions. There's a lot of nuance because it's very subjective. It's not ultra objective. 
For instance, violence, it's it's a very objective thing. You can know when someone lit a building on fire or, or looted or did vandalism. You can say this is actually violence. We observed the action happening. And it's very objective. Whereas speech, even though we can observe when someone is speaking, oftentimes the idea of being offended or the idea of being insulted is a subjective thing that the receiver of those words or the the hearer of the words would interpret and say, well, I perceive that to be offensive. I perceive that to be oppressive. But it goes on to say, I perceive your silence to be oppressive. I perceive your existence to be a threat to me. And this is what's happening uh, across the globe right now, especially in universities when it comes to safe spaces, when it comes to businesses like Twitter, where the employees are banding together or Spotify, where the employees are banding together to say that, well, because Joe Rogan is now on our platform and, and has a contract with our company, we no longer feel safe just because he is here. Just because he exists, I no longer feel safe. So that's a very subjective thing that we cannot give into. But it seems in many places, people are bending to the pressure of this subjectivity because they don't want to hurt people. They don't want to offend people. They want to appear compassionate. And like I said, we're seeing this on university campuses across the world where there are creating safe spaces where they're creating speech codes of what you can and cannot say, where people are getting lawsuits put against them and banned from campus because they said something that wasn't illegal to say in the nation or the country, but because a specific person or group of people felt offended by their comment or by a speaker coming to a university. Well, let's go back and look at Norway's speech code and how they define their law of of hate speech against certain groups. So the penal code, this is this is what it says. The penal code criminalizes hate speech, specifically stating in section 135A that a person who willfully or through gross negligence publicly utters a discriminatory or hateful expression is punishable by fines or imprisonment up to three years. The use of symbols also count as expression. Aiding and abetting is punishable in the same way. Discriminatory or hateful expression means to threaten or insult anybody or to promote hate, persecution, or contempt for anyone because of their color of their skin, national or ethnic origin, religion or faith, homosexuality, lifestyle or sexual orientation, or disability. All right, so this seems pretty straightforward. But this is this is the thing that really gets me. It's what if someone feels insulted because someone criticized an ideology, whether it's of their religion or faith, or criticized an ideology or a fruit of their lifestyle and said, hey, you know, doing this is wrong. I believe that doing this is a sin. What if that makes someone feel insulted? 
what if I have a conversation in the privacy of my own home? And what's it, really interesting is a lot of the way this this uh, this homosexual agenda has worked and played itself out in the West. It's it started with, well, you have no say. You have no say, government, of what I can do in the privacy of my own home, in the privacy of my bedroom. I should be able to live my life as I want. And the government said, you're right. You should be able to live as you want. What you do in the privacy of your own home, in your own bedroom, that is of you know, no consequence to me. I shouldn't overstep and say how you are to live your life. But the progression then has become, hey, other people... You in the privacy of your own home, this is what the, the agenda is, it's saying to others, in the privacy of your own home, you do not have the right to criticize the way that I live. You do not have the right to your opinion, but I have the right to my opinion, and I should be able to live the way that I want to live, and you need to endorse the way that I want to live. Yet I can refuse the way that you want to live, or I can refuse the morality that you choose to live by, and I can call that insulting, and I can call that a hate crime, and I can force my values upon you, but don't you enforce your values upon me. So it's a one-way street, and this, I think, is is very, it's a, a very dangerous step that we are seeing, um, at least right now in, in Norway, which is, again, one of the more progressive nations in Europe. So the whole world isn't going that way. But currently across the globe, there are a lot of similar laws controlling speech and controlling hate speech, um, not only across the globe, but also in America and, and the West. My question is, what if I criticize an ideology of a particular faith system, and that person feels offended. Am I then guilty of a hate crime? What if my religious beliefs teach me that a specific lifestyle or belief is morally wrong? Am I or you now guilty of hate speech because you voiced a belief, voiced something that you believe? Should all kinds of speech be censored to protect people and shelter people? Do we create an environment across the globe of safety to make sure people do not get insulted or offended? Clearly, many people are arguing yes. Clearly, many people are saying we should censor speech and control speech. People shouldn't be allowed to hurt other people's feelings and offend people or insult people because that is violence. That's emotional violence. They will have emotional trauma. Thereby, they're arguing we need to control speech because speech is violence. But here's one problem. Psychologists know that in order for individuals to grow stronger, they need to be exposed time and time and time again to harder and more difficult situations. And sheltering individuals and society from speech would not make the society any stronger. It does not make more resilient individuals. It only makes fragile individuals. That's where we get the term snowflake from, right? We have all these snowflakes running around who can't be offended, who if they get looked at the wrong way, they feel like their life is threatened. And it's because they have been so sheltered from discourse, so sheltered from competing ideas, so sheltered, sheltered from 
the ability to disagree with someone and have to work out your ideas through logic and through reason rather than just an emotional reaction. This is what Pamela Parsky, a PhD and a senior scholar in human development and psychology at the Foundation for Individual Rights and Freedom. She writes this, at Berkeley, Middlebury, and Evergreen, among other campuses across the America, across the country, students and others who believe speech is violence have engaged in uncivil, intimidating, and even violent behavior. At Middlebury College, students believed they were justified at shouting down Charles Murray because they interpreted him as dangerous. At Evergreen State College, students believed intimidating a professor and his students and holding administrators hostage, I mean, that's like kidnapping, was not merely acceptable, but laudable because the professor had sent an email that they interpreted as harmful. At Berkeley, students claimed that breaking windows, ATMs, and people's heads, attacking people, was quote-unquote self-defense while they interpreted asking people to maintain a peaceful dialogue is an act of violence. That asking someone to say, hey, let's maintain a peaceful dialogue. They say, oh, that is a violent act. You telling me that I need to have a peaceful dialogue. And then they go and they, they defend attacking people. They defend breaking windows, breaking ATMs. And they say, well, that's in self-defense because this was a violent act. It is so backwards. And, and we see this with the, the Charlie Hebdo shootings uh, years ago. And again, in 2020, we saw another attack around Charlie Hebdo. And w- where they say offensive speech, well, that, you know, that is, that's offensive. And I agree. Charlie Hebdo is a very offensive magazine. And they offend Christians and Catholics much more than they've offended any other faith system. And there's been multiple lawsuits against them for defamation. So I'm not saying that I agree with Charlie Hebdo. I think it's, you know, a a brash and crude magazine. Yet, do I think that it is justified to go and commit acts of violence because someone produced a crude magazine? Absolutely not. And we talked about this back in way, 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 way back in episode 13, where we talked about the the Habib versus Connor fight. And we talked about a culture of honor in America and Japan and what that means. And then how it falls out with these Charlie Hebdo shootings. Like, we need to understand this. So we need to have a right framework when we are talking about freedom of speech and controlled speech. Because there's there's another problem with constro- controlled speech and censorship. The one problem is that it creates very fragile people who perceive criticism or, or words as violence, and then they act on that saying, well, my violence is actually self-defense and my violence isn't violence. My my riot is actually just the voice of me feeling unheard and this is completely justified. And if you say that this isn't, then that only further confirms that you are a fill in the blank, whatever slur they want to put 
on that individual who disagrees with them, a hateful person. But here's the other problem with controlled speech and censorship is that you will never know what people are really thinking because they are always self-censoring. When you have controlled speech, you never know what people are really thinking because they will self-censor. They will go underground. It doesn't make the problem go away. It hides the real issues, the real hate issues, the real language that is going to incite violence. It hides that all underneath the surface. And instead of there being an open dialogue and an open debate, where society can say, whoa, 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 that idea has gone too far. That idea is dangerous. That idea we totally and utterly reject, and here's why. And then creates this open dialogue where maybe the person who has this actual bad idea, this person who has uh, uh, beliefs that are counter and will end up being truly harmful to other individuals, there's a chance for there to be a dialogue and to pull back from this bad idea, from this violent idea, and hopefully change course. That, and then society would be able to say, we know and we can see what is going on, and it doesn't then explode to the surface later, because when it all gets buried and hidden in the dark, people start talking among their clans, and they fall into these echo chambers where there's no longer open dialogue, but it's echo chambers in secret, in the dark, where you don't know what is being talked about. You don't know what people are thinking. You don't know what is actually going on. And it's this appearance of cleanliness. You appear to have solved the problem, but the problem isn't out here. The problem is inside of us. The problem is inside of our hearts and our minds, and that needs to be fleshed out through dialogue, through talking, through engaging with one another. Now, one main tool that the proponents of controlled speech used to shut down free speech is whenever someone disagrees with them or criticizes them, Not only do they say, well, that is hate speech, but they say that is a fill-in-the-blank phobia. So whether that's being homophobia, whether that's being Islamophobia, whether that's being heterophobia, whether that's being transphobic, whatever it is, they will all of a sudden slap phobic on the end of whatever term that's being criticized. Why do they do this? Well, it's it's kind of an, an, not illegal, but it's an illegal strategy. It's a low blow strategy called an ad hominem, which Wikipedia defines as an argument or direct ad hominem is associated with an attack to the character of the person carrying an argument. This kind of argument, besides usually being fallacious, is also counterproductive as a proper dialogue is hard to achieve after such attack. So now imagine maybe you attack me and my Christian beliefs. I could say, well, you're, you're Christophobic. All of a sudden, I've labeled you as a hateful person. I've labeled you as bigoted and closed-minded, and I've actually shut the door to any sort of dialogue, to any sort of conversation, and I've just painted you to the world as saying this person is not tolerant, 
They are hateful. They should not be allowed in society. These people bad, these people good, rather than grappling with ideas. So whenever you see phobic being slapped onto any term or any word, you can recognize that there's probably maybe legitimate, maybe illegitimate criticisms that's being leveled that aren't being addressed. Instead, they're just being swept over by creating this, this label of calling someone a whatever phobic. And the moment that this happens, the entire argument and discussion is killed and totally dismissed. It's dangerous and it's not helpful. Labeling people as phobic is not helpful and it doesn't actually enable the people labeling people as phobic or the criticisms from the other side. It doesn't enable a conversation where we can come together and understand why we have a different point of view and which view is the most beneficial for society and for the individuals living in that society. Now, I started this talk off sharing how words actually are very powerful and that we will be judged for every careless word. We, you know, the words that we speak over our children, over our businesses, over ourselves, over our families, they are very, very important. They shape and affect the way that we will live our lives. I mean, how many, probably you, remember something that was said to you when you were a child and is stuck with you for the rest of your days and has really shaped and defined the way that you thought about yourself, whether it's something good or whether it's something bad. So I think that our words carry a lot of power. Our words carry a lot of weight and we need to be careful with our tongues. We need to be careful with our words. We need to be concise as much as we can in our language. And when we mess something up, we need to have the humility to go back and say, "Mm, I was not concise in my language. Let me clarify what I meant. Let me try to articulate this in a better way. Why? Because there are real spiritual and eternal consequences for our thoughts and for our words, the things that we entertain in our mind and our heart and the things that come out of our mouth. There are real consequences for those things, whether it happens from a government or not. I really do believe that we have to be careful with our tongues. And the governments across the globe, America included, also realize this. There is not just a carte blanche freedom of speech. You can't just say anything. So in the United States, there is a defined and distinct difference between hate speech, which is actually legal in America. It's protected under freedom of speech, what what other countries like Norway might define as hate speech. And there's a difference between that and speech that incites imminent action of violence or disorder. So there have been multiple cases that have developed the precedent in jurisprudence in America that that says if there is speech that's happening, that's inciting immediate violent action, especially if it's to a well-organized group, that speech 
that's inciting action or riots or violence or uh, uh, action against a government or violence against people, that is not considered protected under freedom of speech. So there is a clear there is a clear distinction in criticizing an ideology and saying, I disagree with this, and then creating a dialogue to further your moral viewpoint or your set of beliefs. There, that is protected. Having a critical thought or idea. But what's not protected is when that then begins to shift to calling for your group or others to take immediate violent action against someone or something. That is not protected. Another thing that is not protected in America is false witness, aka lying. You think of uh, former President Bill Clinton and his whole Monica Lewinsky scandal. America wasn't up in arms and trying to impeach him because of his sexual misconduct, but they were trying to impeach him because he perjured himself in court and he lied to the government saying under oath, I did not have relationship with that woman. I did not have sexual relationships with that woman. So he lied and he perjured himself in court. And in America and pretty much everywhere else in the world, you are not allowed to do that. You are not allowed to lie or be deceitful to get what you want. The ends do not justify the means. Meaning if you are lying and being deceitful or putting false witness against someone, accusing someone of being racist, accusing someone of sexual misconduct falsely, you will go to jail and you should be prosecuted because you are ruining someone else's reputation. So there are, it's not carte blanche. You can't just say whatever you want and get away with it, whether it's in America when it comes to free speech or many other places of the world. As society, we actually take lying to be a a, a very grave offense, accusing someone falsely of a crime, which could ruin their life, throw them in jail, ruin their marriage, ruin their careers, take everything away from them. That is a, a very, um, It's a grave offense against society and individuals, and we should take it seriously. We should take lying very, very seriously. And the the argument can be made, well, isn't that just speech? I just did speech. That should be protected in my freedom of speech. But it is not. Now, this, as I said, is not a new It is not a new thing that's happening in the world. John Milton in 1644 wrote the Areopagitica, which is a a lecture, an essay that was written on censorship that was happening in England. During this time, you needed a government license and uh, as well as a Catholic license to be able to have anything be published. The issue was, the issue was not that things were allowed to be published and then the public could decide whether that met the community standards and say, actually, this is a book that we don't want to be published because that's what John Milton was arguing. He was not saying that we should just let anyone say anything. He was saying we should 
judge an idea and see if that idea is good or not. And the public should be able to judge that idea before we make a decision. But what was happening is that there was a bunch of people who were censoring the the books that were coming out and the media that was coming out at that time. Well, John Milton made the argument, well, this is problematic because now you have a group of people who are reading everything and censoring everything. Well, who is going to censor the people who are censoring them? And then who will be censoring the people who will be censoring them, who will be censoring the censors? And this is what we're beginning to see in big tech across the globe. We see these big companies that are bigger than most governments having the power to control what you and I read, what you and I hear according to their ideology. They are the ones that are judging what is true and what is accurate according to their ideology, according to their standard, rather than letting that information be freely published for you to read and for you to judge. Now, John Milton's uh, essay, The Areopagetica, it has been cited multiple times and really is the framework for our understanding in the modern Western world, the understanding of free speech and how speech should be protected in free and places and areas where speech actually should not be protected. And, and these are things that we have talked about, false witness and language that incites immediate violence. Other than that, there really should be a, a broad freedom to be able to criticize people's ideas, people's ideologies, people's lifestyles. So you should have the ability to criticize my ideas, my lifestyle. Does that mean that you should have the, the freedom to incite violence against me? Absolutely not. I hope not. But this is the way that we are able to move forward as society, because we know that our ideas, our ideas fall out into the world with real impact, with real change. And if we hold the wrong set of ideas, we will build society on a faulty foundation. And if we are not built on a solid foundation, if our framework is off and skewed, we might not see the effects of it today, but 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road when our kids are raising their children, we will see a great fallout in society and have another world of problems. And that is why what we do here on this show is say, how can we view the world rightly? How can we build a framework? And this is one big important piece of that framework, that there would be freedom of speech, freedom of thought, where we'd be able to dialogue and talk with one another with competing ideas to see which ideas hold the most amount of truth, which ideas produce the most amount of abundant life and freedom for all people. Welcome back to the Weaver and Loom segment of the show. We uh, were going to introduce this earlier on, decided not to when we moved to the new format. Um, but I feel like I feel like it's time to bring it back. And Weaver and Loom is a segment where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it into our modern 
day life and how to then apply really practically how to put our hand back to the loom of life, not to be cut off from it, but to be plugged back into our purpose and so that we can weave our destiny. We do that through wisdom. And so the one quote that I have today is from Sun Tzu from The Art of War, and he writes this, plan for what is difficult while it is easy. Do what is great while it is small. And I've been thinking about this quote in the context of what we've been talking about today, about freedom of speech and about standing up and having the ability to criticize someone else's ideas, to to put your thoughts out there in the world while you still can, even though they're not popular. Much of the ideas that I put out into the world Sometimes it's 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 scary for me. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know how this will be received. Sometimes it's like, you know what? This is a really unpopular opinion right now, but I'm going to share my opinion rather than being self-censored because I have the freedom to do that right now. And maybe one day I won't. And maybe one day, because I spoke up, because I shared what I believe, whether At the end of time, we find out that it was right or wrong. Because I spoke up, maybe I was able to shape society for the better. And maybe me speaking is going to give my children and my great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren the ability to live in a free world where they too can experience freedom of faith, freedom of speech, and freedom of expression, freedom of dialogue. Just like John Milton, back in 1644, he spoke up. And because he spoke up, you and I, to greater measure, depending on where you live, because not all countries have the same laws. I think we, we recognize that and we realize that. For instance, in Norway, you do not have the same liberties that's granted to people in uh, America or maybe in Canada, or some other places around the world where there is a greater level of freedom of speech and there aren't hate laws, hate crimes, uh, hate speech that is being able to be legislated from the privacy of your own home, where you cannot have a freedom to say what you believe in the privacy of your own home. But John Milton, he stood up and he actually created a platform and a way for many people to actually experience freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of thought. And I hope that you this week will speak up and say what you think, even when it's not popular, even when you know probably everyone in the room thinks something different than you. And that will bring a health not only to your life, but to the environment and the community that you find yourself living in. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, Please, if you ask a question to me, I'll answer it here on the show and I will send you free stickers. I love hearing from you. I love interacting with you and getting your questions. Thank you so much for listening. If you have a question, you can WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero, or you can find me on my website lucasscrobot s k r o b o t dot com, where you can email me, or on Instagram, you can find me there as well. Thank you so much. Remember, you 
are a truth seeker who lives out your purpose. So go out this week and own your future.